if you have a Bible with you, you can open up to Philippians chapter 1. Uh, we started our summer series in the book of Philippians last week and looked at the first 11 verses. We're not going to quite finish chapter 1 today. We're going to go verses 12 through 26. I got to celebrate a birthday uh, just a couple of days ago, and, and the month before that, Kirsten and I celebrated our 20th wedding anniversary, and, and we, uh, when we got married to each other, we were very different from one another in a lot of ways. And, and uh, in a lot of ways, in those 20 plus years now, like we've become more and more like each other. I don't know if those of you that are married have recognized that, but there's still differences. Uh, one of those differences is this, that we can look at the same set of circumstances and have a totally different interpretation and outlook of, of what it is and how it will be, even just in looking at those circumstances. Uh, and so today, as we open up the book of Philippians once again, we're going to see Paul's view of current circumstances, and it might not be what you would expect his view and his outlook and his interpretation of things to be. Uh, but, I, uh, but I'm so grateful that these words, uh, written by Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, are there for us in Scripture, because I think it's really helpful for us to see, just as it was for the church in Philippi, to see Paul's perspective. We're going to see this one word that's repeated throughout the book a couple of times here in this passage, I think is a key to understanding this passage, and that is the word rejoice. Paul is writing this letter from prison to a church in a culture where it's hard to live as a Christian. Yet, the repeated refrain we're going to see is this theme of rejoicing. Regardless of circumstances, rejoice, be glad, be happy. It look, it's like Paul is looking at everything around him, and he's saying, yeah, it's all good. It's all good. Uh, when certainly, circumstantially, it doesn't always look all good. So, what is this? How is it that Paul can look at everything around him and say, rejoice, and say, it's all good? I mean, is this like the power of positive thinking? No. Is this like he read some book about the growth mindset? I, I don't think so. Did he just watch the Lego movie and sing along with Emmett that everything is awesome? I don't, I don't think that's it either, right? I, think it's, I don't think it's just like, let's think happy thoughts. I think Paul is asking and, and his, his answers to some really important questions are what drives him to be the kind of guy that can rejoice in all these circumstances. Questions like these. Questions like, where is our hope? What causes us to rejoice? What makes life good? And what can even make death good? Those kind of questions are the things we're going to look at today. And I think this message is going to be especially helpful for people that are prone to fear or anxiety, for people who find yourself to be one quick to complain, for people who are easily offended, and if none of those categories fit any of you, people who are living life and facing death. That's all of us, right? This passage is going to be, I think, very helpful, and it's a privilege to be able to go through it today. Uh, so, our custom is that as we read the Word of God, we stand. And so if you're able to, would you stand? I'm going to pray, and then we'll jump right into reading God's Word. Father, I am thankful that Your Holy Spirit worked through Paul in such a way that he had this kind of perspective that we're going to read now on life. 
I thank you that your Holy Spirit inspired him to write every word of this for the church in Philippi and also now for our benefit. So I pray that we would benefit. I pray that I would say only uh, what is true and, uh, and that I would be corrected uh, where I'm wrong, but that you would help us by the power of your Spirit living in us who are believers uh, to be convicted of sin and to be, uh, to be motivated uh, to live for the glory of God as we're molded by your word. In Jesus' name, amen. The word of God says this, beginning in verse 12 of Philippians 1. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. And in that, I rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice. For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. As it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh... That means fruitful labor for me, yet which I shall choose I cannot tell. I'm hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Amen. Be seated. This is, uh, is going to be good uh, to walk through this together inside your bulletin. Sermon notes page, a couple of application questions there as well. As I mentioned, a key word in the whole book and in this passage, I think, is this word rejoice. It shows up two times just in this passage in verse 18. Really, I could have probably easily preached two sermons from this. The, the one, verses 12 through the beginning of verse 18, and then the rest, the end of verse 18 through verse 26. And I think the thing that connects those two sections today is this word rejoice that shows up two times there right in the middle. We're going to see Paul looking at the circumstances around him, which are undesirable in many ways, and we're going to see his response to those being rejoicing. Now, if that's going to be a key word, we need to understand what the word means, and it's super simple. You don't need to like, have a great background in Greek to understand that rejoice just means to be happy or glad. Okay? Rejoice just means be happy or glad. Okay? That, that's what Paul is going to encourage the church to, and that's what we're going to be encouraged to here. Now, typically, the way most of us work is we are happy and glad when things go our way, right? Kids, you know that. Kids, you are happy and glad when things go your way. Like when 
when uh, mom and dad say, hey, I've got some broccoli for you, you might not be happy or glad. But when the announcement is we're having mac and cheese for supper, all of a sudden you're happy and glad because that's going the way you want it. I'm helping coach Isaiah's Little League team right now, and we had been winless up until this last week. And there's a, there's a kind of a look that kids have on their face when you're getting defeated over and over and over again. But this past week, we had a doubleheader on Tuesday, and we won both of the games. And the look on the faces was a little more like happy and glad because the circumstances of the game that we were playing turned out in our favor. And that's the way most of us work. When the circumstances of life seem to turn out in our favor, well, then we're happy and glad. But when the circumstances aren't seeming to be in our favor, we're not happy and glad. What we're going to see in the passage today, though, is that Paul is facing life circumstances where not everything is going about smoothly. Not everything is naturally going to make someone happy or glad, but Paul's response is one of rejoicing. How does he get there? That's what I want to know. That's what I want for me and for us as a church as well. So let's go ahead and dig in a little bit deeper. In verse 12, he starts out with really the first undesirable circumstance by sharing this. Verse 12, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me. Now, if you were here last week, you recall what has happened to Paul is that he has become a prisoner there in Rome. Okay? So what has happened to me, the undesirable circumstances, are Paul's imprisonment. But why is Paul still rejoicing? Look at the rest of verse 12. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. Here's what's making Paul happy and glad in spite of the fact that he's imprisoned. He's happy and glad in spite of the fact that he's in prison because the gospel is advancing. And in fact, it's not just like God found a workaround. Like, here, here's, here's a way that like the, there, there's been a threat to the gospel not advancing. No, the means through which the gospel is advancing is the very thing that seems undesirable to Paul. Does that make sense? Okay, so it's not like there's this, the imprisonment was this obstacle that God had to find a workaround for. No, imprisonment is the means by which the gospel is advancing. Do you see that there in verse 13? Look at in verse 13, he says it this way. So that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. Right? If Paul was not a prisoner, then the whole imperial guard most likely would not have had an opportunity to hear the gospel. But because Paul is a prisoner, the whole imperial guard now has an opportunity to hear the gospel. More than that, even verse 14, and most of the brothers, here's a second benefit to Paul being a prisoner, and most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. There's something about Paul being a prisoner that's causing all the other believers to kind of like, maybe they just shrug their shoulders like, well, what are they going to do to me? Make me a prisoner? Like, they're now all of a sudden, because Paul is a prisoner, they're more bold to speak the word without fear. So Paul is choosing to look at, yes, here's my predicament. I am imprisoned, yet here's how God is at work through it. The gospel is advancing. 
so Paul can rejoice. Undesirable set of circumstances number two, right? Look at verses 15 and following. There's, (laughs) the good news is Jesus is being preached. Christ is being proclaimed. That's good news. Here's here's the undesirable part of it. There's two different uh, groups of people preaching the gospel, and one, their motivation is really messy. Look at what it says here in verse 15. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry. That's not a very good motivation for preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. Envy and rivalry motivating the preaching of the gospel, right? But then there's another group preaching, verse 15, but others from goodwill. So some motivated by envy and rivalry, others motivated by goodwill. It says in verse 16, those motivated by goodwill do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. But this other group, the former, proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. Now, Paul doesn't give us the details of how it is that some people are still proclaiming the gospel of Christ. They're still proclaiming Christ, but they're doing it in a way motivated by envy, rivalry, and selfish ambition with the goal of like undercutting Paul in some way, seeking to afflict him or to hurt him in his imprisonment. So, so they're brothers in Christ proclaiming the gospel of Christ, but they're doing it with part of their goal being hurting Paul. They've got some personal something against Paul. He doesn't tell us the details of what that might be. Interesting. Okay, so if Paul is like most of us and has thin skin, he's going to be pretty quickly offended or he's going to retaliate and use his his powers as an apostle to retaliate against these people who are trying to hurt him or afflict him in his imprisonment. But what does Paul do instead? Look at the next verse. What does Paul do instead? Verse 18, what then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Don't you love that? Paul's not, Paul's not putting a stamp of approval on false teaching, right? That's not what he's doing because he's making clear he's rejoicing because Christ is being proclaimed. So, so whatever it is that these people are doing, they're not, they're not preaching a different gospel. He gets mad at people preaching a different gospel. If you read like the book of Galatians, you see that. But here, it's people that are just trying to, trying to hurt him personally, but they're still proclaiming Jesus. And so what's Paul's response? He's happy. He's glad. He's rejoicing because Christ is being proclaimed. So again, undesirable circumstance. You've got teachers with mixed motives trying to hurt Paul, but Paul, recognizing that Christ is being proclaimed, he's not going to get all bent out of shape of it. He's going to be happy and glad because, hey, people are hearing about Jesus. So I think uh, we can pause here for some application before we move into the second section. Because I need this. I think we need this. I mean, if I, if I did like a little, like if I did a thing where I said, hey, everybody in here whose life is uh, going along perfectly smoothly, everything's turning out exactly the way you want, please stand up. You'd all still be sitting and so would I, right? Like we, all right, this is us. Everybody right now whose life is turning out totally perfectly, all the circumstances going just the way you want is standing, 
right? And there's nobody. I have to stand up so I can keep preaching, but it's not me, right? And so we have a choice. I think we could respond just the way that we would respond naturally, and that is complaining, fear, or being easily offended. But we can make a choice to rejoice, right? So, so first choice is this. Are we going to complain or rejoice? Are we going to complain or rejoice? I mean, certainly, if you, if you think of who Paul is, Apostle Paul, one who preaches the gospel and starts new churches and empowers leaders and equips them and leaves and goes to the next place, he's grounded. He's stuck there in Rome. He can't do the thing that it seems that God has called him to do. That's an undesirable circumstance. That's not where Paul wants to be. And that would be good reason to complain, wouldn't it? I got Ron and Linda's permission to share just a little bit of this. Um, Many of you know that Ron, who just, one of our elders who was just up here praying, Ron and Linda's daughter has been in prison now for a number of years. And for many reasons, prison is an undesirable place to be. And while there would be ample cause for Dawn to complain, the general tenor of Dawn's reports to her parents and others in the church who talked to her is one of seeing opportunities that God is providing, right? That, that, that if I were not in this place, God would not have given me these opportunities with these people for them to hear the gospel and to be discipled. That's much like what Paul is saying here in these verses. <laughs> it's really served to advance the gospel. So it has become known to the whole imperial guard and to all the rest, right? The gospel is advancing because of Paul's circumstances and because of Don's circumstances, which we wouldn't put in the category of desirable circumstances. What about you? You got reasons to complain? Anybody got some stuff you could complain about? (laughs) Anybody already done some complaining today? Like marriage, that's tough. Parenting, that's hard. Work is tough. Singleness is tough. Your health isn't great. Stuff doesn't work. Like, I don't know if like being, like, so I'm 41. Some of you are older than that. But I got stuff that hurts. Like, I didn't even do anything. Like, like I thought I was, like, I used to get sore when I did something. Like, oh, now I know why that hurts. Like, I don't even know. This just hurts, and I don't even know why. That's frustrating. We could complain about that kind of stuff, right? Finances are a struggle. Work is hard. Complaining is easy. And when we complain, people understand because everybody's complaining about stuff. But what if instead we made the choice to rejoice, recognizing that God is seeking to accomplish a work not Not around our undesirable circumstances, but through those undesirable circumstances. We have other choices to make. We have a choice to make whether we're going to fear or rejoice. Paul is is living at a time where it's dangerous to be a Christian. And he's writing to a people in Philippi who are living in a place where it's dangerous to be a Christian. They could be put in prison, right? That would be reason to fear, right? But somehow... They are choosing something else because it says in verse, where was that? Verse 14. The brothers have become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. We have a choice. Are we going to fear? Are we going to rejoice? The culture around us right now in our nation at this time in history 
The culture around us sees us and our worldview as increasingly warped. That's what they think. They think we're messed up, right? Will we fear them? Or with confidence and rejoicing in the Lord, will we be the people that speak the word without fear? One more choice. Because I want to notice that, that Paul, remember, uh, he was rejoicing, choosing to rejoice that the gospel is being proclaimed, even if it's by people that are trying to hurt me. Right? Any of the rest of you take criticism really personally? Any of the rest of you struggle when people disagree with you? Any of the rest of you easily offended? Let's ask God to help us be like Paul who made the choice to rejoice instead of being easily offended. So, this first section ends with the word rejoice, and the second section gets it started that way. The end of verse 18, maybe a new paragraph in your Bible, starts this way. Yes, and I will rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice. And then the next word is for. Okay? This is the reason for, he's going to give the reason for rejoicing. Why is Paul saying, yes, I will rejoice? For, I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. Paul's, Paul's reason for rejoicing is he's got some hope. We're going to hear more about that in the next verse as well. Where is Paul's hope? He knows, he's confident that what is ahead for him is deliverance. Does he mean his expectation is that because the Philippians are praying for him and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, does he know for sure that that means he's being delivered by getting out of prison? I don't know. He does seem to expect that he will. If you look at verse 26, he he talks about coming to you again. There seems to be this expectation that he will be delivered from prison, but I think he's intentionally vague here and not talking about prison and talking about something much bigger than that. His hope is in his future deliverance that will be consummated upon his death and the return of Jesus Christ, right? We sang about that just a little bit ago. What a foretaste of deliverance. How unwavering our hope. Christ in power resurrected as we will be when he comes. That's where Paul's hope is. That's the deliverance that I think he's mostly talking about here. Here's what I know. I can be happy as a prisoner because I know my day of deliverance is coming. Whether I die here in Rome or I get out, my day of deliverance is coming. Right? How unwavering our hope. Look at the hope he's going to talk about here in verse 20. As it is my eager expectation and hope, it says, that everything's going to get better really soon. No, that's not what it says. As it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. Don't you love that? Paul, Paul's not saying, hey, here's my eager expectation and hope. Everything's going to get better really quick. It's probably not. Sorry, sorry to break that to you for you as well. Like, what if it doesn't? Like, what if the undesired, what if your health gets worse instead of better? Right? What if that relationship gets worse instead of better? What if finances get worse instead of, like, can, can we say with Paul, 
Here is my eager expectation and hope that now as always, with full courage, here's what I want more than anything, that Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. If I die here, and if things keep getting worse until I die, or if I continue living, here's my hope, here's my eager expectation, that Christ will be honored. That's what I want more than anything else. That's what Paul is telling the church there in Philippi. Verse 21 then, For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. See, Paul, Paul has this attitude. He understands, I win either way. Right? I've told you the story before of a, 18, a missionary in the 19th century, 1800s, uh, named John Patton, who uh, had a, a thriving ministry, I think it was in England. Um, and really called by God, he and his wife, to go minister to an unreached people group in an island in the South Pacific. You remember me telling you this story? Uh, and the missionaries had gone there many years before. And those missionaries were killed by the people they were trying to reach and cannibalized. And so Mr. Dixon is an elder in, in John's church. And when, when it becomes known that John and his wife intend to go to this island and preach the gospel to the unreached people group, Mr. Dixon tries to encourage them not to go. Like, don't go, right? You're going to die and you know what they do? You don't want to go there, Right? And I love John's response. You want to go ahead and put that quote up there, Elijah. John's response is this. (laughs) Mr. Dixon, you are advanced in years now, and your own prospect is soon to be laid in the grave, there to be eaten by worms. I confess to you that if I can but live and die serving and honoring the Lord Jesus, it will make no difference to me whether I'm eaten by cannibals or by worms. Right? I win either way. Right, so, so you, you want me to stay here and live here? God has called me to go there. And one way or another, I'm dying someday. And here's my hope, that whether in life or in death, Christ will be honored in my body. So, life and death. That's what he kind of sets up in verse 21. And then we're going to hear this kind of deliberation that he goes through. Look at verse 22. If I am to live in the flesh, okay, so, so life and death, to live is Christ and to die is gain. He says this in verse 22, if I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me, okay? So here's what it is. If, if God's going to continue to give me life, life equals, life for me equals fruitful labor, or you could say meaningful work, Right? I'm going to do stuff that matters. If God keeps giving me life, even if it's not perfect, even if life without perfect health or life, you know, whatever it might be, if God keeps giving me life, here's what it means for me. Fruitful labor. I'm going to keep working. I'm going to keep doing stuff that matters for eternity. That's what I'm going to do with my life. Retired or unretired, working at this job that I love or this job that I hate, whatever it's going to be, Using my time, money, gifts, resources to do something that matters eternally. But then Paul's got this dilemma. He's trying to figure out, okay, but we, so to live is Christ and to die is gain. I win either way. And then he says this in verse 22, in the middle of verse 22, Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I'm hard-pressed between the two. 
My desire, he says, is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. Right? He knows that the moment that he dies, he will be with Jesus. And if you've got a choice to make between being a prisoner in Rome or being with Jesus, which one's better? Hmm. Right? So, so he just says it like it is. Well, to depart and be with Christ, that's far better. Right? But, then there's a but there, right? Verse 24, but to remain in the flesh, to keep living, is more necessary on your account. Now listen to this. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all, listen to this, for your progress and joy in the faith so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. This is this, is this church, his gospel partners, these people that he loves, and he's saying to them, listen, it'd be way better for me to depart and go be with Christ, but you know what? It's better for you. And what I want to do, if God's going to keep giving me life, I'm here for your progress and joy in the faith that you would have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus. That's how Paul wants to spend his life. Fruitful labor so that others can make progress and have joy in their faith in Jesus with ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus. That's what Paul wants to do with his life. That's what I want to do with my life. Is that what you want to do with your life? Let's talk about application a little bit. To live is Christ, Paul says here. If I'm going to keep living, it's all about Jesus. Listen, so, so I'm a little bit critical of a way that, uh, man, you know, in, in, in every way, it, as long as Christ is proclaimed in that, I rejoice. But there are, some, there are some ways that we have done things and probably are doing things that we can look back later and say, maybe that wasn't the best. And a, a kind of a popular way of doing the work of evangelism for a time was focused mostly on where are you going to be when you die? And it's going to be heaven or it's going to be hell. And, and if you have a choice between the two, which one do you want? Well, of course everybody wants heaven. All right, well, let me tell you about Jesus, who is the means to get you what you really want. Right? So heaven is what I really want, because that's better than hell. And if it's only two options, I want that one. And Jesus is the means to get me there. Right? So, so I think that's often the way that people kind of took that in. Like, okay, well then what do I need to do? Uh, to get, oh, I need to say this. And so there's never really been developed any sort of like love for Jesus. Never, never getting anybody to the point where they can say, to live is Christ. Not just, Jesus is going to get me, uh, I get to be in heaven when I die, and Jesus is going to get me there. But no, to live is Christ, is what Paul says. Can we say that? That's what I've been wrestling with. Like, can I, I mean, if I'm just thinking about my life, is it to live is Christ? I mean, a lot of times it feels like to living is to like survive another week because the schedule's really full and it's really hot outside, you know? Like, that, that's what life seems like a lot of times. To live is going to this thing and then making sure I'm at this thing and then getting the kids to this thing and then making sure we have food to eat. And like, that, that to live is that is what it usually is, like, if we're honest, right? But man, just to, just to, to hear Paul and, and to just 
man, I don't, I don't know. Like, I don't have three easy steps to live in Christ, right? Just, we can pray, right? And say, God, God, help me. If you keep giving me life in the flesh, help me to give my life for fruitful labor, to use everything you've given me to, to accomplish things that are going to matter eternally. God, help me not to waste my life. Help me not to fall prey to the American dream that everybody around me is chasing. Trying to keep up with everybody else, spending my time and money on stuff that just doesn't really matter in the end. God, help me to give my life to help others make progress and find joy in you. Like, God, give me joy as I pour myself out that others would make progress and joy in their faith and have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus. And then the second part, to live is Christ and to die is gain. So it is important to know what happens when we die. I'm not saying that's unimportant. It is important for us to know that. How, how does Paul do that? I mean, most of, most of the people on the face of this planet do whatever we can to avoid death, right? There's this threat out there, and because of this threat, I'm going to do this, you know, because that's going to help avoid death for a bit longer. I'm going to have this surgery. I'm going to put on this sunscreen. I'm going to, you know, whatever. I'm going to get this shot, whatever it might be. I'm going to do that to try to avoid death. But here, Paul says to die is gain. How can Paul look into the face of death, which is a very real possibility for him there as a prisoner in Rome, and how can he say, oh, it's all good. To die is gain. It's going to be better. Really? I thought we're supposed to be scared of that and avoid that at all costs. How can Paul rejoice in the face of death? I think it's very simple. His hope is in Jesus. His hope is in Jesus. And all who live with hope in Jesus can face death with even rejoicing. Knowing that when I depart, I'm going to be with Christ. And that is far better. Right, so, so the answer, Sunday school answer, for is Jesus, right? Like, what, as, I, as I live life and face death, where, where's my only hope? It's in Jesus. One way that uh, over, over the centuries, just a, another teaching tool that the church has used over centuries, is a teaching tool called a catechism. This is like a fancy way of saying question and answer. Okay? So a way to teach via questions and answers that summarize some of the most important teachings of Scripture. One that's been used for almost 500 years now is called the Heidelberg Catechism. Okay? And I love the first question and answer in the Heidelberg Catechism. Uh, so, oh yeah, I guess you get a, so what is our only comfort in life and in death? And I love this, that I am not my own but belong body and soul in life and in death to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. He has fully paid for all my sins with his precious blood and has set me free from the tyranny of the devil. He also watches over me in such a way that not a hair can fall from my head without the will of my Father in heaven. In fact, all things must work together for my salvation because I belong to him. Christ, by his Holy Spirit, assures me of eternal life and makes me wholeheartedly willing and ready from now on to live for Him. If you wanted to know a bit more of like kind of what follows, just that summary of Scripture. Okay, so, so then how do, I, how do I know? How can I be assured of that eternal life? Keep going on the questions of that. Just Google it. It's been, 
It's been on the internet for almost 500 years now, um, so you can get it. Uh, Friends, do you know this for sure? Like, do, do you know for sure that for you to die is gain? Like, do you know that when you die, you will depart and be with Christ? That, that's a serious, one of the most serious questions you could be asked, probably. Paul says to die is gain. Do you know for sure when you die that you will depart and be with Christ? It's not, I want to talk to you. I want to just say, hey, then repeat this after me. I want to, I want to talk to you. I want you to talk to another believer and talk to them about that. How, how can I know for sure that for me to die is gain? And for those of us who know that for sure when I depart, I will be with Christ, what does it look like for us to live in Christ? I think it looks, it looks like us having this continually growing relationship with Jesus, that we just love Him more and more with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, that we just grow in our love for Him. And the last song that we're going to sing, that's really kind of the theme of it. I love especially the third verse of this last song we're going to sing. It says this, I'll love thee in life, I will love thee in death. I'll love thee as long as thou lendest me breath. I don't know how many years I got, right? So I just turned 41. I suppose life expectancy-wise, I got a while to go yet, but I don't know that. Some of you are younger than me. Some of you are older than me. We don't know. We don't know. But I'll love thee in life. I will love thee in death. I'll love thee as long as thou lendest me breath. And say, when the death dew lies cold on my brow, if ever I love thee, my Jesus, tis now. Let's pray. Father, Ah, that, I wish that was my, my song. I wish that I could say with the kind of confidence and conviction that Paul, that Paul does, that for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. I know that we, we have stuff to do. So this week, while we're, while we're running kids to this thing and that thing, while we're, what, all that stuff, I pray that while we live our normal life, that we would be people who wouldn't be quick to complain that we would choose instead to rejoice, that we wouldn't be people quick to fear, people quick to be easily offended, but that we would be people who would choose to rejoice, seeing how your gospel continues to advance and seeing how the fruit of that gospel, the, the reality for us who are in Christ is that to live is Christ and to die is gain. I pray that it would be our desire that more and more Christ would be honored in our bodies, whether by life or by death. And I pray that our love for Jesus would grow step by step, day after day. Maybe for those kids going to camp this week, it takes a huge step forward in one week. But I pray that you would help the rest of us not to depend on some sort of uh, of of big event where we need to get away from normal life to do it, but that we would, in the midst of our normal lives, pursue you, Jesus. Seeing you as a great treasure, that we would have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus. So uh, stir our hearts up, as you have by your word being read and preached even now, as we sing a closing song together. In Jesus' name, amen.